0: Welcome to Women's Health Weekly from Maiden Lane Medical. We bring you experts from all around the country to help you with your
1: health, life, and happiness. Now for your host, Dr. Kenneth Levy. It is an absolute pleasure to invite everybody to another telecast of Women's Health Weekly. Uh, Brought to you by the experts in New York City and around the country uh, representing Maiden Lane Medical and many of our guests who have private practices and work for public health institutions and are all involved to some degree in women's health care. And as I've said on every single telecast, we are thrilled to bring you expert information. Our goal is for you to be able to get expert information from us and not have to go out into the Google sphere and get that information from sources which may not be optimal. So I'd like to welcome to our Women's Health Weekly broadcast this week, Dr. Daniel Hoffman, who is in now Austin, Texas, correct, Dr. Hoffman? Yeah, that's right. That's so cool. Austin is like the the coolest spot in Texas now, I guess. Dr. Hoffman is a board-certified psychiatrist. He is an expert in addiction. He runs a fantastic... Um, in-person and online uh, recovery and treatment program. And uh, we're really excited to have him here. So welcome uh, to Women's Health Weekly, Dr. Hoffman. And how are you today?
0: Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Ken. And glad to be on and excited to uh, have a discussion here.
1: So great, we're gonna talk about addiction. We're gonna talk about addiction in terms of women's health. And we're gonna bring that topic back to women's health at every turn and we really want to ask you, what on earth, what is addiction? You're a psychiatrist, so mm-hmm. you must know what addiction is, and so I really want to hear it from your mouth.
0: Sure, so um, it's, a, it's a very loaded term. Um, addiction has clinical meaning, uh, but addiction also is of course a word we, you know we just use colloquially. So we say we're addicted to all sorts of things, and sometimes we really, really mean it, and sometimes we're just saying that to make a point. Um, They're all fine uses of the word, but of course when we say it in our own heads, we have to be careful about what we really mean, and that who we're talking to understands what we mean. So uh, it's the same thing, you know, psychiatrically we say, you know, I'm going crazy, or I'm schizophrenic, or all these different things, so uh, I never have a problem with people using words how they want, but we just have to be careful we know what we're trying to say. Um, So addiction clinically has significance because you know it, it's got a lot of uh, detrimental effects so being addicted to alcohol or any kind of drug uh, obviously just you know it's terribly hard on the body and has implications of you know it's usually leads to all kinds of things declining it's you know it's all the medical risk but it's a decline in your family life in your finances in your work in your friendships you know sort of everything um, so clinically addiction means that you're getting stuck on a substance, needing to use more and more to reach the same effect and that you know when you get there well the other side's hard too, you can't really get off because you've become habituated to it. Um, so that's the physiologic or sort of physical dependence side is that you get stuck on something and you have a hard time getting off. The other part of it is that there's always a psychological dependence and pretty much every time you're talking about a true physical addiction, you also have the psychological reliance. So if you're addicted to alcohol, let's say, you know, part of it is hard because you drink more and more and then you can't get off because you're used to drinking more. And if you stop, you'll go into withdrawal. Um, and so the easier thing is just keep drinking or keep your use up so that you don't have to enter that painful state of withdrawal. Um, but, also think about separately every time you're getting physically dependent on something it becomes psychologically reliant as well so imagine drinking and your body gets physically reliant on it fine but you're also becoming psychologically reliant so you've now grown accustomed let's say to drinking anytime you're going to be meeting new people or out you know socializing or dealing with you know a, a rough day at work and coming home well now You know, on top of the physical part, you're now psychologically expecting that, you know, to get through a scary, anxious, sad, tough time. Now I've got to use this thing to get by. And over time, you know, we become scared that if we don't have it, we're going to fall apart or we don't know, you know, what's going to happen and we're going to become overwhelmed.
1: So that's a a lot to, that is a lot to unpack. And I really want to get into that. Um, now, so you said something at the beginning of, of discussing this topic that we use the term colloquially quite frequently. Um, so we said people might say, oh, people say all the time, oh, I'm addicted to this show or I'm addicted to I'm addicted to this person. She's great. Um, yeah. I'm addicted to I have to get that ice cream. I'm totally addicted to it. Is that just the complete right. use of the, Is that just the complete incorrect use of the term addiction?
0: You know, I, I think it's fine. The, the irony is, I think, that people who use it that way are actually sometimes more accurate than you know, hardcore scientists saying, no, no, that's not addiction, it can't be addicted to Netflix, it's not a chemical, I, don't, I can't show you in the MRI all this stuff happening. The truth is, when, when we <laughs> say we're addicted to Netflix or a person, um, those are behaviors, right, so there's not substances, they're behaviors and relationships to things we can absolutely become addicted in those ways and and there's data to back that up so when we put um, people through functional MRIs so looking at sort of brain waves and action um, and how fast the brain is working in certain areas of the brain we do see very similar patterns when we're talking about um, being addicted to people being addicted to shows um, especially sugar so for example sugar uh, produces a higher dopamine rush than cocaine. So we say, well, you know, I'm addicted to, to these chips or, you know, whatever, you know, dessert you like or ice cream, like you said. Um, those are addictive. Those produce a biochemical response. Now, do we go into withdrawal? Not really. I mean, yeah, there's maybe a crash after the sugar rush, but that's that's not you know, hold so
1: hold on one second. That was that hold on I, I You've got, you've just laid so much cool stuff on the table. I really want to go for it, but I, but and I don't That's want to good. lose, I don't want to lose that conversation about, about alcohol that you kind of brought up earlier in, in creating the example, but sugar creates like an immediate just as high, if not higher dopamine rush than cocaine.
0: Oh yeah. I mean things, some things taste great, right. You know, they're and, and our body needs to have a mechanism to know what it needs to go after. You know, we're animals. We're, we're, we're you know, all dressed up and, you know, we get educated and we, we think we're so different. We're animals. We're just beasts. And you know, <laughs> in the animal it. world, you need a way to know what to go after. And it needs to feel really good and pleasurable pretty darn quickly so that we pair that association so that we say, you know, I like that. So we absolutely get that with food. We get it with people. So we get it with sex. We get it with very beautiful things. So um, we are animals who are very inclined, you know, to we need feedback from our natural world to know what we need to get more of. And it usually comes down to, you know, security, procreation, stuff like that, all the fun stuff. So, you know, food and um, money.
1: So, and- arguably, arguably there's, there's a survival benefit to addiction. But what it. Yeah, so- I mean from an evolutionary standpoint perhaps our brains are wired for addiction to some degree uh, because there may be a survival benefit to knowing what the difference between something we enjoy and something that's not good for us or that we don't enjoy and maybe i shouldn't put those two things together not good for us and don't enjoy aren't the same you know aren't necessarily the same thing
0: well there there's the trick right is that You're absolutely right. You're actually being conservative and saying, you know, that, that we have some of this mechanism. We all have the so-called addiction circuit entirely in us, you know, from birth and it, and it remains and it, and it does have an evolutionary advantage. It, it, It is, it is the basis of just, you know, brain body function is to understand what we want to get more of that's for survival. So, any animal needs to have this set up and functioning well in order to survive. If you don't feel good when you're eating or seeking shelter, um, it, for humans, shelter often is paired with money, so money is what makes us feel like we're going to be safe and be okay um, and procreate, right, so we, we like sex. Um, those things are absolutely an evolutionary, not just advantage, it's a necessity. If you don't have those, you're, you're done as an individual or a population.
1: So sure. Right. Yeah. If you can't tell what's, what's good and edible and you can't procreate then your species is done.
0: Yeah, absolutely done. So, we're, so, you know, we're talking in the natural world that works properly when we're humans and we've evolved and we've got all these advances that we have to get, you know, anything available and that can range from you know plentiful food and sugar to pornography to netflix you know we now you can do so much so easily that you know now we've got this issue of can you moderate what (laughs) was naturally extremely helpful so um so that's the the kicker right is you know can we can we learn to modify that relationship for our long-term survival Individually or as a population.
1: So our animal, sur- our animal survival—if I'm reading this right—our animal survival doesn't quite jibe with our modern societal norms. You know, in other words, our yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. Right. And then those come out as behaviors and activities that are not accepted in society and may even be and thus may even be harmful. To someone's functioning in normal society, and thus we we call them addictions because they're damaging to someone.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, every everything you become addicted to has origins in something that's healthy. Would be one way to, you know, put that. Which is, it's very healthy to want to court someone and then you know have sex. That's that's healthy. Well, pornography and getting carried away with all that, and you know having to have sex multiple times a day and everything, well, that gets carried away. We could say the same thing about anything, but, you know, so food. Uh, we need food, very healthy origins, but, you know, too much, too often, unmoderated, well, that'll kill you. So sure.
1: same, same thing probably know. with drugs. You usually the reference the cocaine reference and the drugs themselves are bad, but the, the dopamine rush associated with them is probably very good for survival out on the plains 10,000 years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dopamine has benefits, you know, it's, it's what stimulants cause release of, right. It helps us concentrate even, you know, let alone like a rush, you know, that's, there's a lot of benefits to all these things, all the endorphins, you know, they make us feel good. Um, components of these things actually help, you know, prevent damage in our body because when we feel good, so whether that's sex, a healthy meal, love, and when we get things that feel pleasurable, um, That is part of what maintains our health and and our our body works better that way, but yeah, it's when it's too much and Then the whole cascade happens and and you and you tip the balance physically, but also (laughs) psychologically, you know, because you start chasing um, Things that that aren't very good for your life and and take you away from other healthy things
1: Um, so you mentioned alcohol and we're all Dealing with something that no one's ever really had to deal with before in modern times, which is kind of being stuck at home and maybe a little bit bored, maybe uh, certainly a whole lot anxious. um, And alcohol's a soother uh, for many people in that situation. Uh, So I imagine there's a fine line between drinking at home for, is it maybe I'll use the, the wrong for pleasure or for decreasing some of that anxiety or even just socially with your spouse, as you might potentially normally have a glass of wine or two with dinner. Uh, but then at some point, I guess it goes overboard. So I kind of laid that out and sort of hopefully set the framework. But I want to, I want to ask the question specifically, are women more, susceptible? women in general, um, are women in general more Susceptible to and, and kind of yeah I guess we kind of break that into two categories the sort of substance abuse addictions and then the non substance abuse addictions or compulsions what are the what's the the difference there and are women more susceptible to um, to that to those problems?
0: Yeah, well the good news for women is women do have lower rates of addiction kind of across the board you know no matter the substance um, including alcohol women tend to have lower rates of addiction. Uh, there can be some question around the validity of surveys that you get because, you know, if men are a little more sort of proud of their their drinking or something and women aren't, you might not have completely accurate data. But uh, for the most part, we do know um, men have addiction at higher rates. Um, that gap has been closing um, for alcohol, so it has become much more you know, for better or worse, as times become more equitable for men and women, women are having an easier time drinking and talking about their drinking and, you know, having book clubs where they drink and all that. So, um, so in some ways we've advanced as a society where, you know, it's not just men who go out and drink with their buddies, but, um, but along with that, over the last couple of decades, we've narrowed the gap. So, uh, women drink nearly on par with men, um, Younger women, like high school age, actually um, uh, are now having higher rates of drinking than men, and uh, the number right now is around one in six women uh, struggles with drinking, like binge drinks. So it's extremely common in women, uh, so so alcohol has become more similar, uh, drugs that has still not caught up, and hopefully, you know, goes down in absolute numbers for everybody, but Um, But yeah, alcohol, since it's become a little bit more socially acceptable for women to drink, that's been a bad thing in some ways.
1: I imagine there are social trends all around uh, the susceptibility of various populations for addiction in general. Uh, Right, if it's become more socially acceptable for uh, women to go out and binge drink, uh, we certainly hear about that at the college level. Um, but I imagine that uh, has the potential to translate into adulthood. Um, one, of the, one of the sort of societal changes that has um, come to the fore in recent years is women in the workplace, uh, and women having more senior management and executive positions, and those jobs may typically be associated in and of themselves with more drinking, more, entertain, more entertaining clients, uh, more getting out there uh, with uh, spending more time with men who may be drinking heavily and they may feel a, society, a, pr- a pressure in, at work to keep up. Uh, so that, that's an interesting trend that we're seeing. Uh, and I wonder how it'll play out. and I wonder uh, what type of services and what type of help women are getting, uh, which kind of brings me to the question. Um, who's talking about it? Who's talking about addiction? Are, are women coming? I mean are, so I'm a gynecologist as you know, And I don't, we do at the beginning of every visit, we do an alcohol screening test. We certainly ask people if they're using any drugs, although my guess is only 10% of them or so actually admit to that. Um, But the, uh, yeah, the the question is who's bringing this topic up? Are are women talking about addictive behaviors at their primary care visits? You know, they're certainly not showing up at a psychiatrist and just saying, hey, I'm I'm addicted to X. Um, They usually get to the psychiatrist, as you mentioned earlier, when there's a problem
0: yeah exactly so you know I'd be, I'd be curious to hear more about how the encounters go for you in the office because um w- women uh, i think we've we've progressed as far as women you know m- more in the workplace and dealing with things that men have historically you know dealt with um only um but yeah i mean the this first just to back up i mean the strain on women is so great now because Um, There is an expectation to be both now sort of a career woman and still be mom and women hold this You know notion and and sort of ideal in their mind of wanting to be kind of what they imagined growing up as like this amazing mom Um, But this new societal shift of women, you know still having, you know uh, full-time work leadership roles and all that so it's an impossible task and what happens when any population you know, deals with an impossible task, something's got to give. And addiction is part of that picture. When when things give, that's the buffer, right? You've had a, a terribly long day or not enough time to process something. Um, just life challenges. And what happens? Well, it's not necessarily that you drink. It could be drink that you drink, could be could be harder drugs, um, could be that you overeat, you know, but there, there's going to be some process there. As the give. So what? Yeah, I'm
1: sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted
0: you. You can say go go exercise, go for walks and things, but um, those only go so far for people that are put through enough challenge. You can you know when when you're when you're disciplined at work and you're disciplined at home and then someone's saying well to treat that that stress go do something else disciplined and and go work out let's say um, it doesn't really provide this release valve. And, and that's what i see you know is people need that still and that's a reality a lot of people when you say what are people talking about nobody talks about that you know that w- what do you what do you do as a person when you still have no release you have you have no way to buffer life's challenges
1: so we're getting some really great questions and we love to get questions from our youtube viewers which is how do genetics play a role in addiction? Um, some people in the same family potentially get like a whole family has real substance abuse uh, issues, and then another family, you know, they they might you know be exposed to the same substances and never wind up with an actual, you know, physiologic addiction. How does that how does right. that work out?
0: Okay, so really interesting stuff. So if I just tell you a textbook answer, it's going to say. 50% is genetic, 50% is environmental, like how you're raised, what your life is, and all that. Um, that That's rubbish, it, it, frankly. So the, the reason I can go on about the data we have, but to summarize the reason I claim that that's rubbish is, um, when people's lives improve, and there's less strain in their life, addiction leaps, it goes away. Um, so that's that's one thing. We do have wonderful studies of of twins. Okay, so identical twins. Yeah.
1: Whose genetics are exact whose genetics are exactly the same, just for everybody out there, identical twins, gonna
0: have the same genes. Yeah. So same exact genes. And if one of those identical twins has an addiction, the odds are still that the other identical twin will not. Is oh. that a higher rate? yes yes it is a higher rate but it's just to make the point your even identical twin doesn't necessarily predict that you're going to have addiction the the truth is addiction is really passed on more so in how you're raised and the environment and how critical your environment was and the sorts of things you have to deal with in your family so if you've got a mom who drinks or a dad who you know drank and beat you well you know, yeah, you're at a much higher rate of, of you know, addiction as you grow up, um, but that's not because of the genetics. That's because of how you were treated. Um, we we also see we've studied this really well cleanly in primates, where you stack all these so-called addiction genes, um, and there's several. You you can manipulate these and stack to select for the primates to be born with all of the addiction genes, and. Those had very little effect on whether those um, grew up to be addicted. What was the most predictive of all when we study these things cleanly is how that child is raised. So, in that primate study, a primate who was well nurtured and cared for, meaning in that sense, usually um, held and given warmth, literally, you know, held and stroked a nice maternal love, uh, they don't get addiction. On the other hand, you stop the, um, you 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 put a, a primate with zero genetic sort of predisposition to addiction, and you withhold that warmth and love, they all get addiction. So, huh. um, and I could go on about human studies, rest. Yeah. It, it, the the studies all point in this direction.
1: So back to the point that we're all wired for addiction, um, but if you if you lose that environmental exposure. Um, that makes you susceptible then you're not going to wind up with uh an an addiction issue potentially i mean or your risk i I shouldn't say it's absolute because nothing's absolute in this but your risk certainly becomes significantly lower uh, if you're not exposed to an adverse environmental scenario throughout at least the early part if not the the formative years of your life where that might potentially create um an addiction that's that's very interesting and i think the you know, having genetically identical, um, research subjects is probably the most telling way to, to, to get that data, uh, to make that data real, to make it obvious. All right. So let's yeah. let that's, so we've got some great Dr. Hoffman's giving us some amazing science on this because I don't think a lot of people are aware of these issues around addiction. All right. Let's talk about the, the, um, the diagnosis and the, or the self-diagnosis, what, what makes me, what should make me feel. Uh, Like I might potentially have an addiction problem or a problem with addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or I want to say, and we'll get to defining this. I want to say that sort of the non-substance abuse type of addictions, my phone, uh, the video games, you name it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would put that pretty simply, which is just, you know, I would consider yourself, you know, I would consider the the object of what you feel like you're addicted to is a problem um, when it's a problem so you know I I don't think people need to overcomplicate it I mean yes if you're you know shooting up heroin multiple times a day and you've lost sort of all the close people in your life okay that's a slam dunk sure you're addicted but yeah I mean what is it when when you know you feel like you're addicted to food or your phone or Netflix or or porn you know well Pretty much just when it's a when it's a problem now diagnostically you've got to meet more than just like one problem so if you've just lost one friend or one relationship or one job or something you know that's not going to classically be defined as addiction and you're not going to have that diagnosis but what do you care about diagnosis you know there, there's no medication you know to help with you know phone addiction anyway so you know, you have to ask, well, why, why am I even trying to define this? Well, if you're trying to define it because you want to know if you have something you need to do something about, you know, I would keep it very simple and say, if you if you see it producing problems in your life, well, then who cares what it's called? You know, do something about it. And so if you're on the phone, you know, way too much, scrolling, you know, throughout the the whole day and you don't pick your head up and look at your partner over dinner, Oh, then that's a problem it's not that that's not going to be defined as an addiction that's not going to meet clinical criteria but um
1: don't wait until the divorce papers arrive right. um say hey this, right. this, this is a problem here. By, but,
0: but it can be <laughs> bad still yeah.
1: uh, okay so practically there are all these other so you're right so i guess somebody may not want to admit it or realize it that they're having a substance abuse problem because there's a lot of social Issues around that, and they may not even want to get help, and there may be people around them supporting it or coddling it. And the fact that they lost their job during COVID nineteen um, may not be an issue for them, even though like you know the other eighty people in their office didn't lose their job. Um, yeah, that was just an excuse to get rid of you because they don't like you for some reason, and it may be because you're show up to work drunk. Um, but uh, so those are pretty obvious addiction stories, the drugs and alcohol. Um, but what, practically, so you mentioned, yeah, I don't really need a um, uh, diagnosis uh, to call myself uh, potentially addicted or addicted to something that's not necessarily a substance, practically mm-hmm. speaking, what are the things that I can do to help uh, change and improve my life around those non-substance issues?
0: So it, it, it's always going to have to do with going back to the roots. So um, I think it's helpful to kind of separate out a couple things. So one is sort of when we innocently fall into Certain habits and compulsions, and other times when it's um, when it has a little more story and background to it. So, an example: of what I mean by you know innocence is you know social media kind of gets us all. You know, we we get bombarded with stuff. It's, you know, clickbait. It's easy. It's convenient. It's right there, and it's usually going to be more fun to you know to do what's right in front of you that's fun than work or do you know go for you know run or do anything that's difficult at all or discipline So, you know that's sort of the innocent stuff Um, that's a little separate than most people who suffer from what they really would call you know more clinical addiction with you know real drinking drugs where that's not just innocent usually that's coming out of real pain so um, for most people who are considering themselves addicted in the real medical sense um, I would absolutely recommend Following where someone's pain is. And pain can mean clinical depression, clinical and an anxiety disorder. Um, it can mean all sorts of things like PTSD, but pain can be anything emotional. So pain can be very uh, very commonly bored with life, feeling empty, feeling like I thought I was going to be somewhere different in life, or my life partner doesn't quite satisfy me. So um just not being where you want in life is one of the more common reasons that people go on to have a true addiction with the substance or alcohol and and so that is where I would always point people whether you do therapy take a medication for that or you know do something else personal um, that's you know those are details but the the big picture is you take care of the source of your pain and that true addiction will fade away
1: how does somebody get to that? How does someone figure out what their pain is? Is you know, that so what guys? Know. Is that why we have psychiatrists? Yeah, <laughs> to help out with that. Yeah,
0: it, it, it that can be a difficult art, and sometimes people know it full well. You know, so people will come in. I, I see some patients who have been through years of therapy, and, and they've missed the mark. They get sometimes thrown off by a couple other things they thought were bothering them, but you can really tell when they're sitting there with you that other people have missed the mark before, and that's not really where their pain is. Because um, just just because you went through something difficult doesn't mean it's emotionally a burden for you for the rest of your life. Um, and then I see other times the opposite. You know, people know exactly what it is. They come in, they're emotionally attuned, or it's just so blatantly obvious to them. Uh, they know just what it is but in either case whether it takes a long time to understand where your pain is or you already know um, in either case i i see more difficulty um with people trying to figure out what do i do about that so let's say you've had you know you've been abused as a child or let's say you just you know can't keep a job or you keep getting left you know your partners keep leaving you um even if you know what it is well still I see a lot of people that come in and they're trying different methods you know beforehand that, that generally just don't work so an example of that would be say say you've been abused as a child and you say well what what do i do about that i've already been abused you know what's what good is talking about it going to do or what's the medication going to do it can't change my past i i have this bad burden and, and it bothers me still um and that's where people struggle is, you know well, what do you actually do about what does that mean? What does it look like to do something about, you know, PTSD or depression? Um, and that's where there's actually a very, very, um, terrible lack of good guidance, you know, from therapy or doctors, even, um, most people don't know how to take someone through that journey. And, and and if we had more of that, I think we would see that there'd be far, far lower rates of addiction that people are actually more emotionally well and had good guidance on how to deal with uh, very regular cases of depression, anxiety, and not being happy with life,
1: so I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that moment to share with our YouTube viewers uh, that Dr. Hoffman has a way to help you. Um, he didn't ask me to promote this. I am doing this because I believe in what he has and the message he gives. He has a. You can go to Dr. Hoffman's website. Um, called selfrecovery.org, uh, and um, we can uh, he, you can use that uh, connection there to reach Dr. hoffman and he can offer you solutions to whatever you have going on. Um, I, I doubt it's free, so <laughs> that uh, yeah. that. But there's a there's a way. There's help out there for people who struggle with the everyday. Um, addictions. And I again, so I want to go back to this and I, I, I we went off this topic. I, what's the, the, the difference between these, I would, like, I like to say and that you we've alluded to a number of times, these everyday addictions um, yeah. these behaviors that are unhelpful and a real addiction. And what are the things that you do with, with uh, patients that come to you to help them through those everyday issues?
0: Yes. Yeah, so what do I do with those everyday issues?
1: Yeah, how do you, how do you work? How do you help people work through that? I mean, gosh, I, I'm I need to be on my phone all day. I can't get any work done.
0: So usually, once someone reaches my office, we're we're going after the pain. As far as you know, where a lot of other people are that don't reach the, the point of needing treatment, where you're just on your phone too much. Um, I think a lot of it is being able to really communicate, you know, with the people around you um, what you're what you're experiencing. So forget calling it addiction forget you know naming it anything in particular but just talking about it in regular terms so and we could go through this really with any example but say you know you don't have any huge pain in life but you're sitting at the you know notice that like every time at dinner you're looking down at your phone and not your partner Um, you know simply just being able to talk about that and include in that the, the full context so some of the things and that's why I like doing this, you know, it's just educating people, you know, being able to talk with a partner about like, geez, yeah, you know, I, I can't seem to, to unglue this phone. And, and I keep looking at, you know, being able to talk about that together, being able to talk about what's this doing to our relationship, what, you know, you know, and, and being able to discuss it in very regular terms so that it's not just like this boogeyman that takes you over. because. You know, that that we have no control or mastery over is is when something is taking some control of us and we don't even see it happening. We don't recognize it. We don't know how it's working. We don't know how it's operating. You know, that's boogeyman territory, right? We're, we're afraid of ghosts because you can't punch them. You can't shoot them. You can't. You don't know when they're going to be there. That's that's when we get scared. That's when we don't have control. Um, but when we know our enemy and we know it well. That's how we zero in and, and we can actually defeat the enemy. In this case, it's our own mind. That's the messed up part. You know, it's our own mind that's hurting us. Our own mind shooting dopamine into our system as we look down at this phone and look at the next feed and the next click and the next click. So uh, understanding the layers of how our mind is being manipulated, as you peel those back, you get to gain mastery. So understanding that there is clickbait first of all right that that makes you want to keep clicking understanding that shoots dopamine into your system understanding that when you do that it's going to make that feel more rewarding and important than another conversation with someone that doesn't necessarily lead to this intense immediate boost to to your mood Um, and so understanding all these layers and being able to talk about it, shame and guilt free. Um, and when I say talk, it could be in your own mind too. We have conversations in our own heads all the time, of course. And often, um, either we shame ourselves or other people shame us for, you know, how you know, quit, quit looking at the phone so much. Or we shame ourselves, you know, why, why can't I just exercise or do some, you know, constructive reading instead of, you know, I just got lost for two hours going down that rabbit hole. And and that doesn't help. We need to always treat ourselves kindly or have other people treat us kindly and really understand how we're being controlled and work through that in the most non-judgmental fashion possible.
1: So that's this has been an absolutely incredible educationally uh, sound conversation. We've got a a ton of We've got a lot of science, we've talked about practical stuff, uh, we talked about how this affects, how addictions affect our lives. Dr. Hoffman, is there anything that you would also add to the end of the conversation that we can leave our viewers with?
0: Really just to, to cap off what we're saying and maybe just summarize that, which is, you know, we, we all have an addiction circuit. We all love escaping the mundane or difficult parts of life. And that's really normal and if you're suffering in any way mild or severely with a hard substance and you're losing your life or just using your phone too much just being kind to yourself and understanding we all do this to some degree and um, and being able to just work through that and and follow that pain so that there's less to escape the less you have to escape the easier it is to be healthy very hard to be healthy when it's all uphill. If you put me through hard day after hard day I, I, I'm gonna break at some point sure. and and that we can't we can't treat ourselves so cruelly expecting that anybody has got the discipline or intelligence or tolerance you know for, for that much difficulty. and so that's the main message really I'd like to leave people with is be kind to yourself and, and work through it and try and remove that pain.
1: Thank you very much. I'd like to uh, let everybody know, Dr. Hoffman has told me that um, anyone who uh, comes to his uh, services at selfrecovery.org through this telecast can receive a discount on the services by using a coupon code. Just type in Maiden, M-A-I-D-E-N, and you will get a discount on those services, which I now think are probably excellent. so Dr. Hoffman, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. You've offered incredibly good information to our viewers and I am sure that people who watch this later will 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 really be satisfied with the information you've offered. And I, I look forward to having you back because there's so much here to unpack. Uh, but you've you've offered a really sound way to approach it. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your time. This has been Women's Health Weekly uh, with the experts uh, from Maiden Lane Medical and their guests from across the country where you get expert information without having to go out into the Google sphere.